comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Everybody and welcome to episode 92 of the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey and I'm joined tonight by Mr. Jim Dietz. How are you doing tonight, Jim? I'm just dandy. Welcome to Woodbury. Population dead. <laughs> we are going to be doing a commentary for season three, episode three, Walk With Me, which is our first big introduction to Woodbury uh, for the season. And uh, it's going to be a big place for this whole season, as we know, as we've already seen the rest of the show. Before we get into that, though, I have, uh, well, two things. I've got a movie recommendation for everybody because it's available on Netflix and I thought, hey, they might want to check it out. It's not a zombie movie, although it does have a lot to do with infections and that kind of stuff. Jim, I'm going to assume you've seen this, but uh, when I say the Andromeda strain, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh yeah, are you talking about are you talking about the remake or the original? I am talking about the 1971 uh, version, that of course. Be, that would be the original with Arthur Hill. Based on the book The Andromeda Strain, written by well, one of my favorite writers of all time, Michael Crichton, who also wrote Jurassic Park and many other fine books that you've uh, probably seen turned into movies, and he also created ER, which is a lot of fun. If you like germ warfare type movies, movies about scientists trying to fix things, and uh, if you like the end of season one, all the Jenner bits, check out The Andromeda Strain. It's a little slow. Uh, it's like two hours and ten minutes long, but it's available for free on Netflix, so definitely check it out if you are interested, because I rather enjoyed it. Not as good as the book, but then again, when are these things ever as good as the book? Well, that was one of the first real movies that dealt with that kind of uh, Armageddon. You know what I mean? That kind of uh, threat to society, uh, you know, a virus or disease that could wipe out the world. Um, that was really the first time that had been exposed to the public, so when it came out, that was really like quite a chilling you know, prospect. I know nowadays we, we've seen that, you know, that trope or that story a million times, but back when it first came out in the 70s, it was quite... Uh, you know, quite alarming. It's, it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever seen The Day After, on the movie from the 80s about, you know, it's more realistic depiction of a nuclear holocaust. You know, it came up in my, if you liked Andromeda Strain, you should watch this, but I have not gotten around to it yet. It's another movie that at the time was just incredibly horrifying and chilling and now seems just kind of quaint. Uh, <laughs> but Andromeda Strain has some really good uh, uh, performances in it. Like I said, Arthur Hill is like one of the best actors of his generation and very underrated. He's in a lot of great movies. Um, and uh, it's, you know, I agree. That's a, that's a good recommendation. And the movie looks great. I mean, yeah. it, it's got kind of a uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey feel and in the underground bunker. And uh, like you said, all the acting's great. And, and it's a very contained movie. It takes place mostly in two locations um, with, with a few other cutaways to, to various places. But uh, everything really looks good, especially for an early 70s piece like that. 
Yeah, and it's a, a Robert Wise movie. He's also the guy. He's the guy who directed uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture and a bunch of other great movies. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend that too. Again, it was the first time that kind of uh, subject matter was really dealt with in a mainstream movie, and this movie was a huge hit when it came out. So was the book, uh, just because people hadn't really thought about that. And I agree, it has that kind of seventies uh, of the future look that like two thousand one had. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, one other thing before we get started, and that is to talk about our sponsor. So, Jim, why don't you tell us about Discount Comic Book Service? DCBService.com is where you want to go to get all of your comics, your graphic novels, and everything geek-related, your t-shirts, your statues, your action figures, trade paperbacks, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, Right now, anything you buy on Comixology earns you 5% toward your DCB service order, and it's 50% off all new Marvel trades and hardcovers this month, and 45% off of all DC uh, uh, hardcovers and trades this month. So if you're looking to catch up with the new 52, the big relaunch of DC, or if you went out and saw you know, Man of Steel, you want to catch up on Superman or some other DC characters, uh, or if you want to catch up on some of the great Marvel Now stuff, now is a great time because it's all half off. I mean, these are lower discounts than you're going to get even off of Amazon uh, or other you know big services that you might shop for. And if you use the code WD8 on your first purchase or your first purchase within a year, you will get an additional 8% off. They're already insanely low prices. Some other things, uh, specials they have right going on right now. Infinity is going to be the big, it's the big news in Marvel this summer. It's uh, what everybody's talking about. It's Jonathan Hickman's uh, uh, big event that he's rolling out uh, involving Thanos. He's going to be playing heavily into the next Avengers movie. It's I know he's a favorite of mine and Jordan's as far oh, as Oh, yeah, that. and Infinity so far. I mean, we've only gotten a few tiny little tastes at the Apple, but it is looking to be really, really cool. Well, the first issue is an oversized, double-sized issue, and normally that would cost you 5 bucks. You order through DCB service, half off, two forty-nine. Batman Beyond Universe, it's a uh, comic based on the very uh, popular cartoon series uh, that uh, Paul Dini and, and, and Bruce Timm did there, uh, spinning off of Batman in, in the 90s and the thousands. Again, the uh, debut title of that, $1.99, half off your prices. I'm telling you, and it's not only the um, it's not only the comics, it's not only the uh, the trade paperbacks or whatnot. If you want to catch up on Walking Dead, the comic, the, you know, they have a, a, a lot of great ways to do it. You get 40% off the, the compendiums right now that are both in the uh, soft cover volume one and volume two you have all kinds of action figures um t-shirts toys games you just check out their website and everything like i said is is discounted beyond belief you'll be amazed and use that code that i just gave you wd8 get another eight percent off your first order if you don't believe me uh dcbservice.com we thank them very much for their support Absolutely, and I'll, I'll give a quick comics recommendation as well. I don't know if it's available uh, on their hardcover sale right now, but if it's not, you can always pick it up through a Comixology and then uh, use that additional 5% off deal through them. Marvel Zombies Volume 1, and there are a bunch of volumes, so if you go looking for it, make sure you're, you're finding the, the right one. I mean, many of them are very good, but I'm specifically talking about Volume 1, and I believe Volume 2 as well, but... Definitely Volume 1, written by Robert Kirkman, and it was Robert Kirkman introducing a zombie virus to the Marvel 616 universe, that's the main Marvel universe where all the continuity stuff takes place, and you get to see all of your favorite Marvel uh, heroes and villains as zombies taking over the world. So that's a pretty cool one, and like I said, written by Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead. So if you're looking for an interesting comic to check out, you're not really into the superhero stuff, but you like zombies and you like Robert Kirkman... Hey, give Marvel Zombies Volume 1 a chance. And as you're praising Kirkman, let's talk about really quickly about Invincible, his uh, straight-up you know, teenage superhero comic, which uh, 
both an homage to like early the early Spider-Man and superhero type comics, and also a, a turning inside out of every trope and uh, and cliche from those comics. Uh, so I definitely recommend that as well, and that's available also on DCB Service. And it's got the best superhero and supervillain names this side of Venture Brothers, so uh, <laughs> definitely worth it just for that. Right, like Adam Eve. Yeah, or uh, Rexplosion is one of my favorites. Alan the Alien, a lot of good ones there. But we're not here to talk about Invincible, as fun as that comic is. We're here to talk some Walking Dead. Jim, are you ready to do a commentary for Walk With Me, Episode 3, Season 3 of The Walking Dead? Absolutely, and so much goes on in this episode, not to, you know, spoil or whatever, because we know you've all seen it, but the return of Merle, the introduction of the governor, the introduction of Woodbury, this is a very Andrea and Michonne-centric episode, it's one of the first like that, so uh, let's get on with it, what do you say? If you want to uh, follow along with us with your digital copy, uh, as I got mine off of Amazon, we are about 30, 31 seconds in, the shot, we're, we're getting past all the, you know, previously on The Walking Dead and AMC Presents, all that stuff, and you're looking at a worm eye view of the sun coming up over grass it's about 30 seconds 31 seconds in so go ahead pause the podcast get it all queued up come back and we will walk you right into it all right we hope you got your video file whether it's on your dvr itunes amazon advanced dvds of some type and uh we hope you got it all queued up and we'll catch you in three two one play Very quiet and tranquil beginning to this episode. Morning comes to Zombie Town. <laughs> Looks like a golf course almost. Not quite as well camped, but. Ah, uh, the helicopter. The helicopter. We, I mean, we don't know for sure if it's the same one we've been seeing since the pilot, but uh, it's certainly a helicopter, and they aren't going to be that common in the post apocalyptic wasteland of uh, post zombie Atlanta. It's a very mass shot right there. Interesting, too, that only one of them is piloting. Like, usually you see someone in the second seat, but... Hey, when you're low on people, if only one guy knows how to fly a helicopter, you don't want somebody who doesn't up there who might accidentally hit a button or punch a lever or something. Some CGI smoke. Whenever I see CGI smoke these days, I just think of the smoke monster from Lost. <laughs> Tilt the camera a little more! <laughs> shake it! Now shake the camera! I'm sure it's all very safe, but I would not want to have to be the stunt pilot who has to fly this thing around, you know, bucking and turning like that to make it look like it's crashing. Right. People who fly airplanes tend to think people who pilot helicopters are insane. <laughs> Seriously, because it's a whole different kind of flying. Hey, it's uh, it's Michonne's pets. We will miss them very shortly. And you see the walkers behind them in the field. Yep. They did a really good job on the prosthetics for those uh, for her pets, making it look like they didn't have lower jaws. I mean, obviously the arms are CG'd away, but all the jaw stuff seems to be done entirely with prosthetic. I'm going to guess neither of the gentlemen playing the zombies have a uh, underbite. Maybe they're like Baron Von Underbite. 
and they don't have it at all. <laughs> it still says developed by Frank Darabont in the credits. Yes, it does. Yeah, that's going to be all contractual. Uh, you know, whatever contract he and AMC signed, however long it says they have to keep it in there, they will keep it in there. I do remember there being some controversy, though. I don't remember if it was this season or what, where people were convinced it wasn't there. But no, it's definitely there. And like once again, we have the uh, Andrea is sick subplot that never really seemed to go anywhere. Yeah, I think it just seemed like the, the only way it could make her dependent on Michonne it was to make her sick for no reason. But I don't know, did we really need to have her be dependent on Michonne? I mean, it seems to me to work just as well if they're dependent on each other. I think it gives more of a chance to you know, show Michonne's like motherly nature and that she's more of a badass. Um, I, guess, I mean, I don't know. I would have rather seen them just... Their relationship not be you know her depending on Michonne for survival, but just the two of them depending on each other, but... It's not really the way it played out in the early part of the season. Oh, right. And I think it also would have worked better for as the season ended, just to have to be able to see them working together well, to see them have a um, healthy and, and, you know, quote-unquote normal relationship, you know, not with one of them being sick or infirmed or something. So we really got to feel um, how hard it was for them at the end, both when they were arguing with each other a few episodes from the end, and, of course, how uh, Andrea's storyline played out all the way at the end. Is that the same white truck they used all the way at the end of the season as well? I never really paid too close of attention to what vehicles they had. I don't know. Are they matching Hyundai trucks? (laughs) They look a little bit older. It's hard to tell from this distance, but... I like how they start out with this point of view of just what they can see. You know what I mean? They haven't yeah. realized that Merle's with them. They don't know who these people are. It's all from kind of their point of view. That guy right there who just fired the bow was known primarily as the Bowman whenever he was credited. Did he ever get a name this entire season? I want to say he did, but I can't remember it. Sarah McLaughlin. Editor's note, everybody. Uh, We had a weird Skype glitch where I couldn't hear anything Jim was saying for about two minutes, uh, so I don't reply to anything he says. But don't worry, after these next two minutes, uh, everything goes back to normal. The timing is still exactly correct. You just won't hear me replying, and there's a couple moments of dead air. Swing and a miss. It's the evil Glenn.
It's interesting too because um, they're they're going for this helicopter, but really not sure, you know, I mean, of their intention or whatever. Just like uh, you know, Andrea and uh, and uh, Michonne aren't, you know, what I mean, at this point. In fact, it's not until much later in the episode where we find out for sure that the governor is evil incarnate, pretty much. Second and last editor's note right here is that largest piece of silence because we couldn't hear each other. Isn't Skype wonderful? Spoilers, no it isn't. So, uh, come here often? I like your blouse. It's not, that's a nice color on you. So zombies, they're pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I think so too. Oh, the uh, hosts are coming back. Uh, I guess we should let them get back to the commentary. It was nice meeting you, though. There's a nice shot here with the you know the pilot cut in half, turning. We watched the governor go for the kill there. Pretty nice. And the, and the twist of the knife. I mean, literally the twist of the knife, not just the metaphoric one. Yeah. Oh, he's full of smuckers. <laughs> oh. That's a name like Smuckers. Them zombie brains gotta be good. Oh, we see Michonne's pets getting all riled up. Michonne's like, F this, buddy. It's a shame Michonne couldn't find some, like, swing set chains that had the plastic coating on them. Right, that so wouldn't make, make that quite kind such of noise. noise. Right, right, I hadn't thought of that. Do we, I don't think we see Rodriguez here yet, do we? You know, um... Uh, Daryl's, you know, other other number, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's right there. Oh, there the he is, there he is. Okay, with the baseball bat, right? I'm pretty sure we saw him earlier in the episode. Yeah. He, I know we for sure got a name for him. The Bowman, again, not entirely sure. Right, but he was recurring. We keep, we keep saying him over and over. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of recurring characters, here's the return of my favorite actor in the whole series. I like the uh, triquetra on Michonne's blade. I like how Andrew's starting to recognize the voice. And those are not good memories coming back. <laughs> I love this scene here. He doesn't even like take his eyes off for, for more than a second. It's almost like Little Merle's got a mind of its own. Great line. And I think that showed up in the trailer, too, didn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. And then he passes out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Rucker is just... I don't know, man. Every time he's on the screen in this show, I have to watch him. He's just an insanely talented actor. And kind of insane in person, too. (laughs) But in a nice way. Right, in, the, in a Dennis Hopper kind of way. And that's the best compliment I could pay. Except he's alive, so even better. Too true. 
actually just watched the other day uh, Super, starring Michael Rooker, not not as the main character, and also uh, Slither with Michael Rooker, both of which written and directed by James Gunn, who will also be writing and directing the upcoming Marvel movie Guardians of the Galaxy, which will also star Michael Rooker. And uh, Jim and I are both really excited about this movie. It's a it's a it's a very niche title in the Marvel universe. Not a lot of people know about Guardians of the Galaxy, but uh, it's a lot of fun. It'll be cool to see Rooker in that kind of setting too. And if you want to see the, probably the 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 acting uh, you know role of his career, I'd have to definitely recommend Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. That movie is just chilling. Even today, it's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And that was his big breakout role, right? Yeah, yeah, he's just incredible in that movie. Well, here we are in Woodbury. Do we ever see this doctor lady again? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't remember seeing her. And if I remember correctly, and not to get into the comics too much, but I believe in the comics there is a, a female African-American doctor in Woodbury who... While it doesn't have a huge role, does at least have a name and some things she gets to do. If I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've read the Woodbury stuff. I like her hair, too. <laughs> the beehive? Yeah. Now, Homer! Nice line. This is great, man. I mean, as, as homicidal and as crazy and redneck racist as he is, when he tells his story, he actually, like, gets some empathy. You know what I mean? I mean, all he has to go, all he got went through before he found his way to Woodbury, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, that's, I mean, that's the kind of the weird thing with all the characters I've seen Rooker play through various movies and TV shows. They're all at least just a little bit psychotic, some a lot more than others, but they all seem to be able to convey a, a good level of sincerity. I would have to say Candy Spinning's dad in, in Mallrats, he kind of forewent <laughs> that, but everything else, I, I would agree. I, I think we might have talked about this on the show at one point before, but I, for about oh, 10 years after I saw Mallrats, I would avoid anything with Michael Rooker in it, because just the character he played in that movie of... of, of Mr. Svenning bothered me so much that for whatever reason, I kind of tacked his personality onto Rooker and that was unfair of me. And, and obviously I've gotten over it these days, but, um, but yeah, for, I mean, even Slither, I, I started to watch it and I saw he was in, I was like, Nope, no, thank you. And, uh, I, I'd, I'd missed out cause that's a fun movie. The thing about Rooker is, I mean, he can go from like insane over the top crazy to that kind of quiet distilled kind of still waters run deep kind of crazy you know what i mean <laughs> and that i mean that's that's rare i mean you only see that in a few actors that can really harness both ends of that and do it credibly you know i mean it's easy to you know chew the scenery um uh, michael shannon is a good uh, good example of that too he can walk that line between you know um uh, totally totally um you know over the top crazy psychotic as we saw in man of steel and then just very subtle Just very like subtly crazy and subtly and, and, and subtly aggressive in things like Boardwalk Empire, you know. Um, it's, it's it's a rare rare talent. It's it's cool watching Merle and Andrea catch up too, you know. Yeah.
plus we get more of the timeline here about seven or eight months they've you know they've been together she's been you know, with Michonne since she's been separated from Rick and the group. <laughs> I doubt that. Wearing that prosthetic uh, hand covering has to be very hot and sweaty, especially in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he, he probably has to wear it all the time, too, so he's used to the weight of it. You know what I mean? So it doesn't look unnatural when he walks and moves and stuff. Surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He probably, I mean, knowing what an intense actor he is, he would, I, I would imagine that's probably what he does. I, I really like this part of the season because, I mean, we saw Woodbury in the comic, and I mean, not to you know, disparage one or the other, but Woodbury in the comic from from Jump Street was a very brutal place, you know what I mean? It was very much like, you know, bread and circuses that, you know, very, um, uh, you know, uh, law, not lawless, but very chaotic, as opposed to the Woodbury we see in the show, which is very much, you know, like your suburban uh, uh, community walled in from, you know, zombie attack. Especially the first part of the season, before we really see the governor and his true, you know, his true stripes, and before we see Merle unleashed, yeah, in the comics, it was very much ancient Rome right on Front Street. Like, yes, law and order, but some of those laws are pretty crazy. But here you get more of a Stepford Wives kind of crazy. Where it's it's all off, but most of it's right under the surface. It's Phil. I thought he did just an excellent job as this character. I'm excited to see him next season. I did too. I mean, at first I was a little unsure because it was very different from what I was expecting. But I mean, like like I said, you you watch him in this part of the season as opposed to the end of the season. You know, after the, all of stuff with the, his daughter and everything, and you just really get a sense of how you know how much he thought about this performance, how how much he worked it out. You know, what I mean, it just very very much. Uh, you know, a, a full spectrum of emotion from one end to the other that he's worked with here. I mean, you see here, like, the benevolent kind of, yeah, sure, you have your weapons, leave whenever you want, no problem. And then you think of the governor at the end, you know, with the, the eye patch and the just insane uh, lust for vengeance, and it's almost like two different people, you know? Yeah. And, and again, I think that was a great choice. Again, not going for the crazy, over-the-top evil, even with rules of, like, say, a a uh, ancient Rome like you had in the comics, but making it very subtle. Make him come off charming in the beginning. Make him come off like a nice, respectable, sympathetic guy, and and even leave those elements of sympathy there with him even later on to different points of the season, but have him grow into the governor that we know and hate from the comics. Don't have him start that way. Right, and it's, I think for the comics that was a good choice, but I think for the, the series this was a better choice. Well, especially, I mean, you got to consider with comics versus a TV show. In the comics, you're you're only given so many panels per character, and and particularly in a book like Walking Dead, where you're focusing mostly on one guy, and that guy being Rick, and you have all the other you know characters around him, some of which get more characterization than others. A villain like the Governor, who is not going to be showing up in as many places as the hero, can't have as much much characterization. So you do need to start in a place of more abject evil, just 
put it right there on Front Street, whereas with the show, particularly in the way they split up the timeline a little bit, where some of the time you're spending with Rick and group over at the prison, some of it you're spending with Andrea and Michonne over here in Woodbury, you have a lot more time to spend with his character, really flesh him out, make him interesting, and not just have him show up a few minutes here and there, like uh, Darth Vader, to be super evil. And you get both sides of it, too, with Andrea buying what he's selling and Michonne totally not buying what he's selling. You know, right. you get the two different sides of, of how you could take that character. Although I think I still do understand why people had problems with Michonne in the beginning in terms of, you know, she's perceiving things that at this point really aren't there. <laughs> They're only there if you've read the book, which I'm going to guess the character in the show has not read the book. And uh, yeah, I, I think not, they could have done like that a little bit like better. She's Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> Although that would be amazing, and she does already have the sword. Yeah, you got, you, got, you got a good point there. And she's a little bit crazy, too. Just not quite Deadpool-level crazy. Not fourth-wall-breaking crazy. It's like Michonne, even here, she looks dubious. You know what I mean? She has yeah, no, yeah. no reason to be at all, but she's just like... Meh. She's like a dog that smells something bad, you know? kind of circling low, you know, a little wide circle around him. I mean, at this point, particularly for people who've only watched the show and have her in the book, she comes off as much more suspicious than the governor does. And maybe that was a conscious choice on the part of the writers. I don't know. I just don't think it works quite as well. Well, we also get the, we also get her, you know, being an empathetic character from the way she's taking care of Andrea while Andrea's been sick, so... I mean, that's supposed to, you know, have the invest more empathy in her with the viewer than, you know, the governor. Oh, I understand what it's supposed to do. I just don't know that it worked as well as it was intended. Yeah, I do like these little, like, looks between Merle and Michonne, too, and Merle's kind of settling into his role, kind of. Um, we, we see that, you know, in this post-apocalyptic world, you know, maybe things aren't so bad, maybe even someone like Merle can find a place to be, you know? Yeah. How long do you think it took to rig up all the houses in Woodbury with generators going to the light switches? I'm no electrician, but that seems like a lot of work. What else do they got to do all day? <laughs> I guess that's a good point. You can only have uh, lemonade social so often. They still haven't figured out uh, shaving, though, evidently. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a beard. Beards are awesome. You've got a beard. Yeah, but the governor doesn't have a beard. He just has that kind of, oh, I forgot to shave the past couple days. That's because he's sexy and smoldering or something. If you say so, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, she's not happy. <laughs> Great little shot there to end that, that scene, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like they're in the Warner Brothers back lot with the big water tower there. Yeah, yeah. I like how they, they, they took the time to do little details, like the solar panels down the, the center uh, square of town, you know what I mean, and the little, mm -hmm. little gardens that they've put in and stuff like that. And 
And at this point, Andrea's still kind of dubious, but she, she, you can tell she wants to believe. You know, she wants to be part of something like this. This, yeah. you know, normalcy is appealing to her, you know. Well, especially after being on the road for so long. Now, this woman right here, uh, the brunette, she's not the same woman that we see at the end of the season, right? This is a completely different character? I think, I, I think you're right. I think it is a different lady. I kind of wish they'd made him the same person just to give it a little bit more of a continuity, but maybe they didn't have the uh, access to the same actress, actresses, rather. Isn't this the woman that's presently sleeping with the governor? I think that's the impression we're given. I think we only we, we see a dark-haired woman in his bed, but I think we only see her from behind. So, But the, the, granted, that's my memory of seeing it back when it first aired. Now we see some of the more uh, dubious elements of the governor's regime. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that actor in other places. The, the uh, pilot, or I don't know if he's the pilot there, or the uh, one of the just a National Guardsmen, but I feel like I've seen him in other things. Yeah, I, I wonder what happened to the Doctor character, because you're right, I don't remember her sticking around. Like, Milton kind of takes uh, over that slot, you know? Well, like it, it could have just been that they found officer. that they liked uh, Milton so much that they wanted to have him on screen more, and they give him some of the screen time that might have gone to uh, incidental characters. And, and really, I'm fine with that. If somebody's working out as well as Milton did in the show, at least in my opinion, you know, give him as much time as you can. Yeah, I thought he was a good actor. I liked him in that role, too. And I, I don't remember, like I said, it's been a long time since I've read the, the Woodbury stuff, but he was a character invented for the show, right? Or who had his role much more expanded, anyway? Yeah, I think so. I think he was, like, one of the characters in the background in the comic. I'd have to go back and double-check. But, uh, yeah, he did not have that kind of uh, character in you know in the comic, and it, definitely, it was definitely expanded for the show. I gotta go get my hand solo vest clean. <laughs> I was actually thinking it was more of a black Marty McFly vest. But that could just be because of the uh, cross hatching on it. Or quilting, whatever it's called. A snake Pliskin vest, too. That kind of commando styling over the, the shoulders and then the puffy uh, quilting stuff. That's true. Not that I'm obsessed with uh, Escape from New York or anything, but. <laughs> hey, as long as you're not obsessed with Escape from LA, we're fine. Oh, no. <laughs> Although I did like the gag with the uh, Jaws ride in that movie, but that was about the only thing I liked. For anybody who's seen The Hangover Part 2 and complains it's the f same movie as the first one, you should really watch uh, Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. So now we see the other side of the R&D of uh, of the governor, he's got you know Milton working on the the zombie thing. Getting to see a little bit of uh, Merle being under the governor's boot here. Yeah, it is kind of weird to see his character take orders from anybody, really. 
Which is another good indication of this guy has some unseen power. I mean, we are we know he's the governor of this town, obviously. He has some power, but he has more power than just that, that he can tell uh, tell Merle when to jump and how high. I have Merle listen. Yeah. Yeah, that's just true. Anybody can tell Merle to jump and how high, but whether he listens or not, that's the important thing. Here we get Milton's breakdown of Michonne's pets, which is kind of cool. It explains to the audience, you know, pretty much why she had him the way she had him. You know what I mean? She never really, it was never really explained before why she took the jaws off, why the arms were gone. But uh, here we get the explanation. And I like sticking to, uh, you know, somewhat more amateur scientists like Milton, because when you have somebody like Jenner from season one, nothing against him. I thought the actor did a great job. He was written well. But when a character like that says something, it tends to get taken as gospel where when Milton says something, when he has a hypothesis about how this all works, you can take it with much more of a grain of salt. And so if something happens later on that goes against what he says, it's not the show breaking its own continuity. It's just, hey, Milton wasn't a real scientist. He was doing the best he could with the limited resources he had and guessing. And sometimes his guesses might have been right and sometimes they were wrong. He's basically a little bit of an earpiece for, or a mouthpiece rather for some of the viewers to be able to say, I think this is what's happening, and other people in the show can either agree with them or disagree with them. <laughs> Speaking of Back to the Future, playing with the uh, scale model of the town. Right. Here's the part I, I didn't understand. He says he comes for his tea, yet he just made him a cup of coffee in a French press. <laughs> I mean, French press is for coffee, not for tea. He could just be speaking colloquial. Colloquially. He could just be speaking colloquially. I can't say that. Colloquially? Yeah, there you go. Breakfast with the governor. So they have access to chickens that are still alive. They have some type of grain that they can make bread from, and they have fruit trees. Yeah, I would imagine the grain, they'd probably be able to find a stock of flour. Flour can keep for a long, long time. if it's That's true. That's a good point. Rather than them having to grow the grain and mill it themselves, it seems like a, I don't know, a step too far from what they have. Although eventually, if you're trying to rebuild society, you would want to do that, but it might be a bit early. Yeah. I like how we keep seeing Michonne looking at her sword up on the yeah. shelf, and it's like all she cares about. Now, can you not make tea in a French press? I don't know. Or is I it never, just not I, normally how it's used? I never have. I've never seen, I don't know. I'll have to ask my wife. She's more of a tea drinker. I've always used it for coffee. I didn't, uh, I've never used it for tea. Maybe one of our listeners would know. Now, has the uh, the idea that there's some type of uh, truth serum or something to mind control people in the tea, has that idea kind of died and gone to bed now? There hasn't been any evidence to support it or, you know, you know from, from the get-go. So, yeah, I don't think there's, uh, there's anything to that. And I, if I remember correctly, this is the only time we really even see the tea. Yeah. Or, or it's made a big deal of is in this episode. I mean, it could have been an interesting idea, I guess. I just don't think it really fits into The Walking Dead. Like, yeah. you've already got zombies. Do you really need mind control tea? Yeah, where would you get the mind control tea anyway? I mean, it's the Mad Hatter around. I mean, <laughs> it's mercury tea. It seems like a step too far. 
it seems like he's I don't and I remember this in the first part of the season he's like so intent on selling this idea especially to Andrea because he knows he's kind of you know not going to sell it to Michonne but see, and as his character progresses, it gets to the point where he just doesn't care. Like the facade of, of you know, genteel living, just it doesn't care. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, uh, amount to anything to him anymore. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's almost like putting up that facade is just too much work at that point. Yeah, and he figures the yeah. people who are in are going to be in, the people who aren't aren't, and uh, kill all the rest. It's just weird, really weird how she, how he goes to all this trouble to kind of. Uh, you know, sway Andrew to his way of thinking and to kind of court her and bring her over to his side. And yet, you know, by the end, he's he just doesn't care anymore whether, you know, people what people think of him. And a lot of that probably has to do with the uh, second death of Penny, the loss of his eye. Oh, yeah, everything that happens in his arc from, from here until the end of the season. I mean, and, and you know, the, the major things, like you mentioned, but, you know, smaller, more subtle things, you know, him, you know, losing Merle. You know, or, or you know, his right hand man, be, you know, betraying him pretty much. Um, you know, the the whole thing. You know, with the, I mean, there there's just a lot of things in his arc that that cause him to change from one one side to the other. And I, I, like we were saying before, we just really appreciate you know that the you know that they went to that trouble rather than just making him a you know twirling mustache bad guy from Jump Street. You know. Yeah. Now, I, I guess an interesting question then arises. Okay. So if the real jump off the deep end, or jump into the deep end, rather, happens with the death of Penny, or the second death of Penny, with the loss of his eye, the loss of Merle, if Andrea and Michonne never show up in this town, how long do you think they had before something else set him off? Or could they have uh, perhaps gone on for months and years and even decades with him being, yeah, unhinged a little and kind of a dark figure, but still a peaceful society, and a mostly okay life for everybody around. Well, I think something you might want to factor into that is how soon or what other way he would have found out about the prison, besides from Andrea and Michonne. You know what I mean? Like if well, that's to, true, but I mean... that really that... becomes like his uh, white whale to his Ahab. You know what I mean? It's just the people in the prison and that there's a rival society that really seems to, like, you know, grind his gears and get him, you know, going so i think if even if andrew michonne had landed here eventually he would have you know found out about the prison and then you know coveted that and that would end up too so then take that out of the picture too let's say rick and his group had just turned left instead of right at some intersection and it ended up in some other town far away from woodbury might the governor and his people still be you know more or less quote-unquote just fine uh you know a year later two years later i guess i mean um I don't see, I mean, you know, other than attrition or, or, you know, revolution from within, what would there be to stop it? Yeah, exactly. I, I noticed behind Michonne in the window there is a, a flyer for town hall meetings. So they have some type of limited democracy going on. I bet those are fine. <laughs> oh, they got the lemonade, they got the tea, item some dancing. Item 43, we need someone to clear the zombie brain juice off of uh, Elm Avenue. Uh, any, any volunteers? <laughs> Someone has been picking Mrs. McGillicuddy's roses without her permission. She would like that to stop. And if there's any doubt as to the uh, intent or the evilness of the governor, we're about to have that doubt put to rest. Yeah, although I'm certainly not the first person to say it, but this whole scene's more, you know, more than a little over the top. They they take these guys down way too easily. Yeah, considering that they're all trained soldiers and 
his people are kind of a, a self-trained militia. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, especially as well-armed as they are, you know? Yeah. Well, not to mention they are even beyond the training and the lack of training of the governor's people. You know, they have some cover there of the vehicles. They're all heavily armed. All they have to do is get off one or two good shots, and the whole battle changes. You know, into their favor, and they can't even manage to do that. Now, granted, I understand it's television. It's not the point of the scene. The point of the scene is the governor's evil, and this is a you know easy way to show that. But I think it could have been handled much uh, much more smoothly, much more subtly. Much more realistically, I think. Yeah. And also, is it just me, or is one half of the governor's group shooting across a mostly open field at the other half of his group? Because that seems like a bad idea. It looks that way. Please get the cherry starburst out of my mouth. <laughs> Too much flavor. Hey, don't diss the cherry starburst. Those are the best ones. Those and strawberry. Yeah, but you want to, do you want do you want to die with the cherry starburst in your mouth? I'd rather die with one in my mouth than without it in my mouth. Fair I'm enough. gonna die. Here we get the, this nice scene here of the governor, where he kind of goes a little further than he had to with the guy, and then kind of has this you know, almost like a Travis Bickle cathartic breath there. Yeah. Oh, do you think when he comes back in season four, he's driving a taxi? Evil Glenn approves. <laughs> you tell he's Evil Glenn because he has the, you know, the teenage mustache. <laughs> and tight red pants, if I remember correctly. I forget which podcast it was, but one of the ones I listened to referred to him over and over again as like tight pants, cigarette pack and pocket or something like that. Because he's got something square in his pocket. Hmm. Yet another one of the governor's minions. I don't think we ever get a name for. Unless he just said it right there. I have my speakers turned down so I can, uh, so it's not getting into the recording. No, I don't remember his name either. I just always referred to him as Evil Glenn. <laughs> just like, you know, Rodriguez is Evil Daryl. Yeah, exactly. Look, everybody, look what we found. They're giving them away for free. This one came with a warranty. This one came with free bloodstains all over it. That only Michonne notices. Like they start focusing that shot on the arm. Yeah. And again, even with Michonne finding bullet holes and uh, bloodstains on the vehicles, that still fits with the governor's version of the story, that they died killing zombies. I just I just find it hilarious that out of you know all these different people, the only person that was even suspicious in the least is Michonne. Well, I mean, the governor's kept these people safe and fed and with electricity for how many months now? After a certain point, you probably just look the other way and trust the guy. Unfortunately, I killed them, which precluded that promise. 
It's just, you know, he's he's so earnest at this part of the season. It's just it's kind of mind-blowing to think of how far. I know we keep saying this, but his, his character arc. You know, David Morrissey's really, uh, um, you know, got my respect as an actor after seeing this season. Yeah, I think the only other thing I've seen him in was uh, the episode of Doctor Who he was on, which was quite good, and a very different character for him to play. I'm sure I've seen him in something else and just don't remember, but those are the that and this are the two things that stick out to me. Yeah, that's not 73 people. <laughs> well, you got people on the walls. All that kind of stuff. Extras are expensive. <laughs> a guy in the background picked up his little girl so they could see inside the Hummer. <laughs> Look, honey, it's full of weaponry. You want to play with the 50 cal? Can you say frag grenade? But he does. And for the whole rest of the season, he'll never mention it again. Everybody calls him Phil, and he's fine with it. Ooh, she said never say never, and then he said never. <gasps> Ooh. Okay, I think this is when we get to see him go into the uh, Chamber of Horrors. Yeah. I'm not mistaken for the first oh, time. Oh, okay, we do see a face. It's, I don't think it's enough to really say whether or not it's the woman from uh, the Welcoming Committee or not, but yeah, certainly by the color hair. It looks enough like her that I would think it would be her. His wife looks a lot like Andrea. Yep. Something we should mention before he goes into the aquarium room. And I was so glad they kept this, too, because this was one of my favorite images in all of the comics. You know what I mean? The whole oh, yeah. uh, the double page spread of 57 channels and nothing's on. I'm just so glad they kept this element because I was afraid they, would, you know, if they wouldn't have it on the television show. I just thought it might be a step too far. And it allowed them to have that awesome-looking uh, box set for season three. Right. Well, I, I, everything works about this, though. Just the lighting in particular, the way he's conveying the emotion... Yeah, you can tell the light's not quite right, and then there's something on the other side of the room, but you don't know what it is. At first, he's not looking at it, then now he's like kind of more transfixed by it, and now you get to see what it is. Yep. And that Michonne's biters are there. And the pilot, or army guy, whichever, uh, whichever one he happens to be. This is what happens when you take a man's cable TV away, everybody. <laughs> Hey, that one's even in 3D. He kept the band-aid on it. His music is nice, too, and just that look on his face. Yeah. Great way to end the, 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 uh, the episode. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us for the commentary for Season 3, Episode 3, Walk With Me. You can leave us a voicemail at 516-468-7912. You can leave us an email at comments at walkingdeadtv.com. And you can leave us an iTunes review. We always love that. Please give us as many stars as you can uh, afford. We prefer five because that's the maximum. 
Yeah, especially since we just relaunched the feeds. All of the old ratings and comments on the iTunes are completely wiped away. So if you haven't left one in the last month or two, it's not there. So if you could go and leave us another one because you left us one a year or two ago, we would really appreciate it. And coming down the pike, I know we have another uh, commentary episode coming out for episode four uh, from season three. We also, uh, I know Jordan and, uh, and Russ are getting ready for, to do a Breaking Mad uh, episode where they talk a little bit about Breaking Bad and Mad Men. Two awesome shows. Yeah, I, I watched the Breaking Bad, but not the Mad Men. So um, I can agree with you uh, halfway, although I've heard great things, of course. <laughs> um, and we have a bunch of other stuff coming uh, for, you know, the offices to hold you over till October when we get an all new, all different Walking Dead episodes. Absolutely. And check out HHWLOD.com for all of our great shows, like Brad over on Half Hour Wasted, uh, Jim and I and the other guys on The Long Box of Doom. Uh, you got The Black Box out now. Our brand new shows, Jersey Shore, starring me and some of my friends, uh, Really BS, Real Heroes, and lots of other fun stuff. All those shows can be found on Facebook as well. Follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. And so until there's no more room left in hell and dead walk the earth, remember, how about a hug for your old friend, Merle? Have a good week, everybody. Later, taters. I'm nothing special, but if I could take you home, if I could take you home, if I could take you home, I'll be all that you need. <laughs> I am the best I am at what I do, just like Wolverine. Yes. I, I do not suggest that you have Baby Vi throw you in a fastball special, or vice versa. Either way seems disastrous. Yeah. <laughs> Unless your baby is like Colossus, in which case, awesome and weird. <laughs>